You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, what up? You are listening to Locked On NBA Draft. This is your host, Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. And this show is brought to you by the NBA Draft live show, the NBA Draft GOAT, Chad Ford, and Locked On host, Rafael Barlow. It is so weird to read an ad about me. But me and Chad Ford and Locked On NBA host John Corrales will be live. We will be live this year covering the NBA Draft. It is Locked On NBA Draft 2021, brought to you by Built Bar. Get local expert analysis on each pick. Follow Locked On NBA on YouTube today and watch our live coverage July 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Again, it is weird for me to promote myself on this Locked on NBA draft show, but I'm excited to work with Chad Ford. I'm excited to, you know, to, or to make my TV debut. So tune into that again. It's July 29th during the NBA draft on Locked on NBA. I want to introduce you to my guest today. It is Max Feldman from Front Office Gurus. Max has been on maybe two or three times. I think this guy's future is super bright. One of my favorite guests. And I have a interesting episode today because I want to ask him some questions. I want to pick his brain about, in his opinion, what is more important when you're evaluating an NBA prospect? Is it the film or what he did in college? Or is it what you saw out of him or the particular player in high school? Max, what is going on? What's up? I appreciate you having me back on. I'm excited to break all this down. Yeah, no problem. So actually, before we get into the episode, and, and I have all these millions of questions for you, you are currently at the Peach Jam, right? Yeah, I'm in uh, Augusta, Georgia currently in the, at the Peach Jam, yeah. All right, so I, I've been keeping up with it a little bit on Twitter. Name your top five to ten players and names that we will be talking about in the NBA draft in the near future. NBA draft guys that have jumped out, uh, definitely Shade and Sharp from uh, You Play Canada jumped out pretty quickly. Um, got a lot of headlines, and I think that'll continue. I think he'll be in contention for a top spot. Um, Jalen Duran, of course, Derek Lively have been, they've had their moments, but they uh, look like top 10 guys, like they've been advertised. Derek Whitehead, uh, Team Durant. He's been great. Dior Johnson is in the consolation bracket, but he's had some great moments. Um, off the top of my head, Kaysen Wallace is definitely a big one. He's been trending a lot. Um, Shout out to Kaysen. I used to watch Kaysen play when he was in like third or fourth grade. Yeah, I just got done watching him a few hours ago. Yep. He's been, he's been awesome, and his team's great too. What about Imani Bates? So I watched, I didn't get a chance to watch Imani live yet. He's actually playing against Bronny James tonight in the consolation bracket, but um, his team around him is definitely, uh, it's not helping him. And uh, he's been forcing a lot of shots and he's been under a lot of scrutiny on Twitter and everything. But I mean, I don't think the town has gone anywhere in the few, in the few uh, games that I watched early on, he actually really impressed me with this playmaking and was making putting guys in good situations, but he just doesn't really have the talent around him with this Bates fundamental team to 
capitalize on that and display that as much as I think uh, he's really developed in that area. Yeah, so I haven't been like keeping up with it all the way, just kind of casually. I know at the beginning of the summer, he played with Jalen Duran on a team out of Philly, right? Yeah, team fun. So I thought the Bates fundamental team was done. And I mean, did they just decide to make a comeback? Did that situation with team final not work out? Or, or do you know what happened there? I don't know exactly what happened behind the scenes, but from what I what from what I've seen, I believe that there was like an agreement essentially for him to play with Bates Fundamental for Peach Jam, the EYBL circuit. And then he wasn't he played for team final for just a few weeks. I believe it was less than a month. Gotcha. That's what I thought. It's weird because we've been hearing about Imani for a while and it's come to the point now where I feel like I'm an Imani apologist because everybody's just kind of tearing him apart. I think it's a situation where he was so good, so young that now everybody's starting to pay attention to what he doesn't do well or just start picking at his flaws instead of looking at this guy is, what is he, 6'9", 6'10", moves like a guard. He's not a forward that has some guard skills. He is a legitimate guard in a sense. So I saw him play once. Um, he came down to Dallas and played Duncanville in the game there. And this is his first year playing 17s. Like I know that the Bates fundamental team is built around him and his dad or whatever. And we've been seeing him dominate, you know, the 15s and the 16s. Has the level of play or, or his dominance i should say has it been the same has his his production been consistent i know he had a game where he had like 30 in the second half a couple days ago in terms of production i would say it's on par with what he's done and i mean he, he produces because his volume is crazy high with this team i think it's just difficult because i'd say he arguably has around him probably the worst supporting cast in the uibl and they were saw a bunch of rankings and they were at the bottom of those. So I think it's just really hard to evaluate Imani in this setting just because uh, it's not what the role that he's playing right now isn't the role that he'll be playing at the next level. It's not the role that he'll be playing in the NBA. So I think it's hard to uh, evaluate him right now. But I think there's been a lot of improvement. So you just teed yourself up for my next question, which is the, the whole purpose of this particular podcast. Now, when you evaluate, let's say Imani Bates, let's use him, for example, right now. And let's say he goes to Michigan State, which as of now doesn't look like it's happening. And he has a freshman year where he averages 10 points, shoots 40% from the floor, 25% from three, and averages maybe like four rebounds, two assists, and has more turnovers than assists. When you're evaluating him, which holds more weight? The potential that you've seen in the EYBL or what you saw in film in college? To answer your question exactly, I would say that they're not necessarily equivalent, but they're both like heavily weighted pieces of context that I think is the whole picture of this conversation. the draft landscape is so difficult and we can be evaluating guys for years. And Imani Bates is a great example is we've seen so much of him. I don't think uh, one year at let's say Michigan state, which is pretty unlikely um, is, 
if he does have a mediocre season, I don't think that carries extreme weight. I don't think it's like, oh, he's a second round pick now. He's he's a, a 20 to 30 guy. I think it's uh, they're pieces of context and they're pieces of the puzzle piece that make up the, his draft stock. And uh, I think it's just so difficult to uh, break down the draft and evaluate in general. Taking in every piece of context is not only just the responsibility of an evaluator, but I think it makes the best evaluators in general. And I think it's what makes uh, front offices special. And I think it's why the draft landscape in general is such an enjoyable thing for people around the world. Like myself. All right. I have plenty of more questions for you. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you about Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now literally impossible for your car chain or local auto parts store to have all the parts you need. So that's why I think you should go to Rock Auto. You can save time and money when you use Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more on the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? For example, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump. Uh, Isn't the Honda Odyssey a minivan? I can't imagine any of my listeners drive minivans, but if you do drive a minivan, the fuel pump is $353 from a chain store. At Rock Auto, you can get it for $216. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for the past 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. So if your kids have brought their muddy shoes from soccer, if they spilled ice cream on your carpet, you can get them replaced at rockauto.com. Go explore their easy-to-use website and find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Once again, you're listening to Locked On NBA Draft. This is Rafael Barlow from NBADraftJunkies.com and my guest, Max Feldman from Front Office Gurus. We have been talking about a little bit of what Max has seen at the Peach Jam and also wanted to get his opinion on which has more impact on a player's draft stock their college film or their high school film. We talked a little bit about Imani Bates and the player or the main reason for this entire podcast is Zaire Williams. He has been the most difficult guy for me to gauge. I get it. I get the fact that he's 6'9", 6'10", has shown upside. I understand that he looked really good at Sierra Canyon. I understand that he was one of the best players coming into college basketball this year. But I also look at his film, and it is hard to watch his film. I mean, the numbers were, were were pretty bad. Where do you have Zaire at on your board? And are you leaning more towards his potential, what you saw in high school, as opposed to what you saw on the college film? Yeah, so exactly. I think Zaire is a great example with com- this conversation in general, and he's one of the one of four case studies, one of five case studies that I would bring up with this conversation overall. Um, I probably have him uh, between 14 and 20 on my last big board that's being put together over the last over this next week. Um, I hear people all the time, whether it's draft Twitter podcast, anything like that. They talk about Zaire and they say uh, his his highlight mixtape from Sierra Canyon is incredible. Uh, 
you watch that and you think he's going to be Kevin Durant, all of that stuff, hyping him up in that way. And I think, yes, that mixtape is uh, impressive, but I actually think his role at Sierra Canyon, if you pay attention to the full seasons and watch Sierra Canyon, uh, I think his role with that team is actually going to be more similar in the NBA than it was at Stanford, where he was forcing shots and he was kind of the go-to guy in terms of volume. Whereas at Sierra Canyon, he was playing with BJ Boston, who was one of the best scorers in the country. He was playing with Amari Bailey, Bronnie James, these these talented shot creators, these talented scorers who took up volume. And yes, Zaire was a star, but uh, he kind of fit a role alongside talented scorers versus Stanford was, he was forcing shots and playing with uh, a different scheme and playing next to guys that weren't necessarily as high volume wing creators or wing shooters. All right. Well, well, let's use BJ Boston, for example, coming into the year, I thought BJ Boston was going to be a surefire lottery pick. Same with Zaire Williams, two guys that really looked good playing together at Sierra Canyon. They looked good in AU, put them on a college campus and they struggled. It has hurt their stock. Why is Zaire's stock higher than BJ Boston's right now? I think that one is really interesting, and I think it's something that not a lot of people have thought about. Um, I was absolutely the leader of the BJ Boston train. Like I remember, I loved him him coming out of Sierra Canyon. Um, I think a big thing was scheme fit. I when you look at NBA players coming out of Kentucky, obviously it's a fantastic lineage, but a lot are either lead guards or big men or guys who just in general are backcourt players or big guys. Um, Those type of uh, oversized wing creators, Kentucky just doesn't really have have a history of it versus a school like Duke and so many other schools. Um, There's also a history of guys from the West Coast going to Kentucky and struggling a little bit. So Juzang. Yeah, I I think there's a lot that goes into it, but I think bringing up BJ versus uh, Zaire is an interesting debate right now. Maybe simply just because Zaire's tape is a little less ugly, which is strange to even think about. But I don't know. I think they're a lot closer than people are talking about at this time. Yeah, I think the gap is I've seen anywhere from 15 spots higher Zaire is projected to go. I've seen some people say Zaire can maybe slide at the very back end of the lottery. I, I've seen a lot of Memphis in that range, 16, 17. I haven't seen BJ Boston as a first round pick and most of the mocks I've been looking at, which is weird to me because like I said, both guys were highly regarded coming into college. Both guys struggled. It doesn't seem like Zaire's play at Stanford has had much impact. Well, I mean, I, I take that back. I know it's had an impact, but it hasn't had as much of an impact as B.J. Boston's. B.J. Boston has, I mean, if you want to be honest, he's lost millions of dollars. If he would have skipped college totally and just did a, you know, a, what what did they, they call that? A internship year? <laughs> he would have been a first-round pick. If he would have went to the G League, I think he would have been a first-round pick. Going to Kentucky hasn't put him in that position. I mean, we're still, you know, at least a week away from the draft. So he could still end up as a first round pick, but as of right now, it just does not look likely. Now, where do you have BJ at on your board? I still won't drop him from my top 30. He'll end up in my top 30 for sure. I just, 
I've seen too much of him after, yes, this film was pretty hard to watch, but actually those last 10 games of the year were actually relatively impressive and those numbers weren't too bad. I've just seen way too much of BJ Boston to be like, oh, he's a 40, he should be 45. I, I don't see that. All right. When we return, I'm going to put you on the hot seat. I hope you got your AC on. But before that, bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball is in full swing, and you can track all the action at bet online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, NFL, and UFC and MMA action. Basketball is done, which we had a great NBA Finals. One of the best NBA Finals I've seen from two unlikely teams. Maybe people thought Milwaukee had a chance, but I don't think anybody expected the Suns to be there. But before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get in the game. As your teams, your NFL teams, or maybe even your college football teams prepare for their season, head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. The promo code is locked on. Again, it's Rafael Barlow with my guest, Max Feldman. All right, Max, I promised that I was going to put you on the hot seat. So let's talk about the 2018 recruiting class, right? This is just based off of ESPN. The number one player was RJ Barrett. Number two was Zion Williamson. Number three, Cam Reddish. Four, Bowl Bowl. Number five, Romeo Langford. Six, Nazir Little. Seven, Keldon Johnson. Eight, Quentin Grimes, who's in this draft. Nine, Anthony Simons. And number 10, Jalen Smith. All right. So these are guys that were the top 10 players in the country based off of ESPN coming into college. Right now. I'll use Romeo Langford. He had a decent freshman. He was a lottery pick. Bo Bo. When he played, he looked good. He was the fourth best player coming into that season. He was a second round pick. I know a lot of it had to do with you know, the injuries that he had, but he still hasn't been able to play this year. Other than like the bubble last year, we haven't seen much of Bobo. Cam Reddish did not have a great year, still ended up being a lottery pick. Keldon Johnson was the top seven, was the seventh ranked player. He fell down to, I want to say, very late first round. Now let's talk about some of the guys that were not in the top 10. Darius Garland was number 16. Garland played maybe five games, if that, ends up being a lottery pick. Um, let's see, who else? Kobe White was the 23rd best player, according to ESPN. He ended up being a lottery pick. You had Tyler Hero was ranked number 30. He ended up being a lottery pick, I believe. Had a good freshman year. So now, we, and oh, here's another one for you. Kevin Porter, number 40. Now, Kevin Porter, I thought, showed flashes of his talent when he was at USC. I know he had the suspension or whatever. But based off of those names that I mentioned and their rankings, if you were to compare their high school ranking to how they played in college, the order would be totally different. So why does a guy like Bo Bo 
Now, that may not be the best example, but I use Bobo, for example. Why doesn't Bobo's high school tape carry the same weight as some of the guys that we just mentioned in the last segment? Two things. I think, like you said, Bobo is interesting. I grew up an Oregon fan. I've been an Oregon fan my whole life, and he was incredible while he was playing at Oregon. Um, I think it's just injuries with him. I think it's difficult to put a lot of weight into a guy that tall with that frame. Um, it's something that Bobo is an interesting case study that I've learned a lot from. It's just, it's difficult. <clears throat> it's difficult to value guys with that frame at that length with that weight. Um, but I think another thing with just rankings in general and looking back at rankings, something that I've uh, kind of prided myself on and worked with a lot is just utilizing that NBA scouting and that NBA evaluation system and those principles on high school prospects rather than uh, production or weighing them as a college prospect and stuff like that. Because um, I think that gap between professional basketball, NBA evaluation and high school basketball is shrinking every single year. Like we see with the G League overtime elite, uh, all these different things coming up. Um, especially with the amount of NBA scouts that I've even been seeing over the last week at something like Peach Jam. I think that that margin between uh, the NBA and amateur basketball is way smaller than it used to be. And I think that should be utilized in rankings more so moving forward. Now, I'm going to ask you to even elaborate even deeper on that. So you believe that it's shrinking, the gap between high school basketball and the NBA is shrinking. Yes, I think I think just moving back towards uh, not making guys skip a year before going to the NBA is something that uh, we're working back towards something that's been talked about over the last year. And I think um, whether whether or not it happens, something like Jalen Johnson this year, where it's like after a few games or not a few games after injuries and some stuff happens, whether it's the fit, a lot of stuff might have been going on. Um, I think there's going to be more weight put into high school basketball and the AAU scene and, and stuff like Peach Jam just because you don't know how much you're going to be able to see the guy, whether it's in college or G League or stuff like that. See, that's why I don't know if I agree with that. I'll, I'll give you an example. 2000, oh man, what year was that? Maybe 2015-ish? Maybe it was 16 I was filming for, um, it was Mo Williams Academy, and then we had, it was kind of like a spinoff, or it was the prep school called API. So on that team, we had Trayvon Duvall, we had Billy Preston, we had Terrence Ferguson. All three guys were McDonald's All-Americans. All three guys were highly recruited. I think all three guys were at least top 10 or top 15 in their class. Trayvon Duvall was a better high school player than Trey Young, right? I have a, I have film of a game. It was like a scrimmage. It was like in the middle of like nowhere, Texas. I think we met like halfway. Trayvon had, you know, an all-star team in a sense. Mark Vital from Baylor was on that team. So you had five guys on, on that team that at least had NBA workouts, Summer league, whatever. Trey Young had nobody had a high school team, but 
Trey Trayvon Duvall was better than Trey Young in high school. He was bigger, he was stronger, he was more athletic, and he played okay at Duke. Not what everybody expected. That Duke team had a lot of talent, and they went all the way to the Elite Eight. I was actually at the game where they lost to Kansas. Malik Newman put on the show at the end. But why didn't, in your opinion, why didn't Trayvon Duvall's high school film allow him to get drafted? Because he was dominant in high school. I think it's difficult because uh, this happens a lot. Like this happens every year. This will happen in this coming recruiting class. This happens every single year where guys just aren't exactly what they looked like um, at the prep level. And I think my entire point being is I'm not just because I love high school basketball. I've always had uh, kind of a soft spot for high school basketball, just in terms of enjoyment. Um, I never ever would say that it's more important than college basketball or how they produce early on in the NBA. More so, I very much believe in the principle of gathering as much context as possible when evaluating the draft. I don't believe that uh, because Trayvon Duvall was incredible in high school or all of these guys that come through every year that have phenomenal high school careers. Like I love Billy Preston coming out of Oak Hill, um, all of those guys. I think simply it's a piece of context that not as many people pay attention to versus college basketball, of course. Um, I think the draft is so difficult and high school basketball is a piece of that um, that I think is probably a little bit more important than most people do. Yeah, I mean, I I always will lean towards college over high school just because it's the most recent film. I think it's a, I think it's personally a better indicator, which, you know, Zaire Williams is going to be like an interesting case study because he looked a lot better in high school than he did in college. And as of now, it looks like the high school tape is going to hold more weight than what he showed at Stanford. So this is going to be like something that I'll probably have you on again. And maybe even a year from now, we can evaluate. And a year is probably still not enough time. It's probably best to evaluate a player after his rookie contract ends. But there's a few guys that I'm curious to see how it turns out because I think their high school film is, is definitely keeping their name alive in the first round status. But then you also see guys that weren't as highly regarded out of high school that had a good college career. And then in that case, the college film is what puts them on draft boards. Like Aaron Neesmith, for example, I don't even think he was a top 50 player coming out of high school, but he ended up being selected pretty high. Um, Talon Horton Tucker, I don't think he was a top 50 player. He was a second round pick, but I mean, he's going to be a rotation player and he's still super young. There's a few other guys, even like in last year's draft, or I'm sorry, not last year's draft, but you look at the 2019 class. uh, The best example would be, let's see, Scotty Lewis was ahead of Tyrese Maxey, right? And Precious Achua. And he was also ranked ahead of LaMelo Ball. LaMelo was number 21. LaMelo's kind of tough to say because he didn't really play like this you know, he didn't really play like a normal high. Well, I guess he did that last year. But another example is Patrick Williams was like number 28, right? And his pro, I'm sorry, not his pro, but his college film outweighed what he did in high school. 
In your opinion, last question, why is that in the case of Patrick Williams? I actually love Patrick Williams coming out of high school. I always thought he had an interesting build. And I think that's exactly to a T of, even when you see those measurements coming out of high school, you see his athleticism. I think it's why uh, using that NBA scale for evaluation and moving it down to high school is extremely important. Um, Scotty Lewis's shooting troubles and sh and decision-making and ability to change speeds, that's been something that we've been able to see for years, but that ability to jump through the roof and uh, fly down the court was something that outweighed it. Um, it happens, mistakes are made, but uh, I think it's something that can be patched up a little bit in terms of high school evaluation moving forward. And I think, like you mentioned, there's a lot of interesting case studies with this draft and there are two that really stand out to me and I'm excited to uh, see how those pan out. And uh, Josh Christopher and Josh Primo are two of my favorites. All right, elaborate real fast on on, on those two guys. For uh, Josh Christopher, uh, that's probably my favorite one. He, I'm very high on Josh Christopher. He's probably will end up top 12, top 14 for me. Um, a lot of it in terms of context, when we talk about constant context in colleges, he was playing next to two of the top eight highest usage players in the Pac-12. Yeah, that ball did not move at Arizona State. On the same team, it was two of the top eight highest usage guys in Remy Martin, Alonzo Verge. Um, this was a great uh, stat that I saw that pops out with him is 69% of his catch and shoot possessions were guarded, which was, I went through the whole draft. It was extremely high. Most people didn't have uh, a guarded percentage that high. Um, and his points per possessions on those on those possessions was still higher than uh, Corey Kispert, Chris Duarte, Davion Mitchell, James Booknight, Moses Moody, and Io DeSumo, just a few. Um, so point being, the shots that he took were all tough pretty much, and he was still knocking them down at a high clip. Only, I want to say 13% of his shots were completely unguarded, which is very, pretty low. Um, for Josh Primo, I think the case is pretty easy to evaluate. He's younger than Chet Holmgren, Patrick Baldwin Jr., a bunch of guys from next year's draft class. And he was playing alongside John Patty, Jaden Shackelford, Javon Quinterly, all these guys who need the ball in their hands. They're high-volume shooters. So he was a guy that I also loved coming out of high school. Um, I think he had a hard – it was hard to evaluate him, but he's a guy that I'm fully bought into. He's another guy that's top 10, top 12 for me. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I first saw Primo, and I feel like this this youth thing or him being young for his age has been a theme for, like, the past few years. So, at the 2019 under-18s, he was there, and then he kind of, like, started to get a little bit of playing time towards the end of the tournament for Canada, and all you kept hearing was he's only 16 years old. Yeah. And then it's like I'm hearing the same thing over again that after his freshman year at Alabama, you hear like, oh, he's barely going to be – I don't even think he's – I think he doesn't turn 19 until like the beginning of the season. So that's kind of like been the common thing for the last few years for Josh Primo. Yeah, I uh, my first basketball writing job was for uh, North Pole Hoops, Canada-based website, and he was one of the guys that I caught on to really early. I started – watching him and uh, paying attention to him when he was still pretty early in his high school career. And it is crazy. He's younger than Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro, Jaden Hardy, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Kennedy Chandler, and Peyton Watson, and so many more guys. 
next year's draft class. Yeah. Same thing you can say for Wimbayama. By the time he is eligible for the NBA draft, he could still play at the under-19s in yeah. 2023. That's crazy. But you mentioned um, writing. Let the audience and the listeners know where they can find your current writing work at. Yeah, so I have daily stuff uh, on Twitter at Max Feldman six. And then uh, my big boards, high school stuff, my writing contents all on frontofficegurus.com. All right. Thanks again. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow with my guest, Max Feldman. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think this guy is going to have a very, very bright future in this industry. I feel like I'm a little bit early to the party, so that's why I want to keep having him on before he gets too big and I actually see him as a front office guru. But once again, this is Raphael with NBA Draft Junkies here on Locked On NBA Draft. Have to tell you, please listen to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey. It's featuring analysis from the GOAT of NBA Mock Drafts, Chad Ford. And Odyssey NBA experts Brian Scalabrini and former general manager Ryan McDonough are locked on NBA local experts will make selections and trades for your favorite basketball teams throughout this week-long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is the audio home for all your sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. Again, that is Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y, and I am on the, I guess you can say, the front desk. So I am on this Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 every single day. Thank you for listening, and we are out.